0: Log Talk
1: Radio. The Bible, that's the book for me. The Bible, that's the book for me.
2: As believers who articulate our faith, we are going to be tested. If we pass the test, even though there may be times of struggle and times of doubt, our faith is not destroyed, it is not eliminated, we hold to Him because we love Him. If that's the case, then we will be blessed.
3: Welcome to Grace To You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. A great preacher said that all trials serve two purposes. To better acquaint you with your own sinful heart and with your Lord and Savior. Now, it's one thing to agree with those words after you have come through a trial. But what do you do when your suffering never seems to end? Bottom line, how can you be sure that God will get you through the toughest times? John MacArthur has encouraging answers today as he takes a practical look at benefiting from life's trials. And now here is John MacArthur.
2: Let's open our Bibles to the first chapter of James. Now let's go to verse 12 and look a little more at that verse. As believers who articulate our faith, we are going to be tested. If we pass the test, holding on to the Lord, Even though there may be times of struggle and times of doubt, our faith is not destroyed, it is not eliminated, we hold to Him because we love Him. If that's the case, then we will be blessed. Now, to sum this idea up, let me suggest to you that the purpose of the testing is then twofold. Number one, its purpose is to expose the quality of faith. Testing, as I've been saying, is designed to reveal what kind of faith you have. Look back at verse 12 again, that phrase for when he is tried, literally, when he is approved after testing. That's the whole idea. Beloved, can you perceive that in your life? Look, when... When tests and troubles and trials come, when there is a death or when there is loneliness or a loss or problems, whatever they might be, can you see that through that, God is testing the validity of your faith? He is making you approved. He is putting you through the fire, as it were, that you might come out with the dross burned off and the true faith shining bright. Those who hold fast to their trust in God through trials, those whose faith does not fall, though the trial may persist, show themselves to have living faith. Living faith. Now I want to digress for a moment because this is a perfect place to talk about a very important biblical truth, a very important theological thought. Have you heard the phrase, the perseverance of the saints? That's a wonderful phrase a common one in theology. Let me talk about that for a moment. What does it mean when we hear the perseverance of the saints? We would say that it is a part of our theological creed that we believe in the perseverance of the saints. In other words, we believe that the saints will never abandon their faith. They will always persevere believing God through every trial. That's the perseverance of the saints. In other words, they won't believe for a little while and bail out. They'll persevere. There will be no trial that will come on them to make them give up their faith. Why? Because there is no temptation or trial given you, but such as is common to man. And God who is faithful will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, and always will make a way of what? Escape that you may be able to endure it. There is always the possibility of the perseverance of the true saints, and the true saints will always persevere. That's a very, very important thought. Let me tell you why it's important. For years, I grew up hearing a phrase called eternal security. Have you heard that? We believe in eternal security. That's a good phrase. In fact, I used to hear it this way. Once saved, you got it. Always saved. That's right, and that's a common phrase. Once saved, always saved. And we like to believe that. I mean, who wouldn't? I would not want to be a part of a system that said, once saved, but you never know. (laughs) I don't want that. No, the emphasis on once saved, always saved, that's all right. But what that is saying, in a sense, some people get real nervous and they say, wait a minute. Once saved, always saved means you can do anything you want, and uh, God's sort of stuck with you. (laughs) And the emphasis on that is on the holding power of God, and that's all right. Uh, The idea of eternal security means that God holds you. You're secure in His unchanging promise. You're you're secure in His, um, His inviolable power. And Scripture does emphasize that. We are secure. We are secure because of the power of God. There's no question about it. For example, let me just break that down. We are secure in our salvation because of the promise and power of God. John 10, you remember it? You've probably gone back to it many times in thinking about eternal security. John 10, 28... I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Why? My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Right? So we're eternally secure because of the promise and power of God. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's the promise and the power of God. Secondly, We we say we're secure, not only because of the promise and power of God, but because of the prayers of Christ. He constantly intercedes on our behalf, right? So that no matter what we might do, He intercedes on our behalf and tells the Father that He has already paid for that sin, and therefore it's forgiven. In John 17, He prays for all of His own, that they might enter into the fullness of salvation, and that prayer will be answered. In Luke 22, He he talks about Peter, and He says, Satan desires to have you, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And he says, when you get through this deal, I want you to strengthen the brethren. In other words, Peter was secure not only by the promise and power of God, but by the prayer of Christ. If any man sin, 1 John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. Christ is our intercessor, our intermediary. There's a third element in this. We are secure not only because of the prayer and the promise of God and the prayer the promise and power of God and the prayers of Christ but also because of the presence of the spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us the guarantee of future glory. Is that not so? Doesn't Ephesians 1 say we have the earnest of the spirit? We are sealed by the spirit to the day of redemption. Now all of that emphasizes eternal security from the standpoint of the power of God, the presence of God through his spirit and the prayers of jesus christ the whole trinity secures us forever so that no christian who believes in the lord will ever be lost that wonderful and our security is based listen to this on the covenantal faithfulness of god and the very god of peace says paul to the thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 sanctify you holy And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying for you that you'll be preserved blameless till Jesus gets here. Verse 24 says, and faithful is he that calls you who also will, what? Do it. We are secure based on the covenantal faithfulness of God. That's wonderful. God preserves his people from apostasy. He preserves His people from defection, and He brings all of them to heaven. That's clearly the teaching of Scripture. Listen to what Scripture says. 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed to Him against that day. You remember that one? He's able to keep what I've committed to Him. And what have I committed to Him? My soul. 2 Timothy 4.18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, listen to this, and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 1.5 says, We are kept by the power of God. Jude 1, we are preserved in Jesus Christ. And Jude 24, now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Aren't those wonderful scriptures? Strong language, folks, about eternal security. But may I hasten to say there's another side to this. There's another side to this. You say, what's the other side? The other side is that we are not only kept by God, but from the human viewpoint, we also persevere. The means, then, of eternal security is wrought through the power of the Spirit, energizing the true believer to endure in faith through all trials. Burkhoff, Louis Burkhoff, an excellent theologian, calls perseverance that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer by which the work of divine grace that is begun in the heart is continued and brought to completion. So our part is to endure. Listen to what it says in the Scripture also. Matthew 24, 13, He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, we just said that God's going to keep us. We've turned the table around, and it appears to be contradictory, but it isn't. It's the way He keeps us by energizing us by His Spirit to endure. Then Jesus said to the Jews in John eight thirty one, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples for real. 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you also received, and wherein you stand, listen to this, by which you also are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached to you unless you've believed for nothing. If you don't hold on to it, you show your faith wasn't real. Colossians 1, listen to this text. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works... Yet now has He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Isn't that wonderful? Salvation. We're presented to God holy, unreprovable, unblameable in His sight. Then it says, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, you're only secure if you endure. Endurance is the means by which security is worked out. Therefore, Hebrews 2 says, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. Hebrews 6, 12, we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, and be not slothful, but followers of them, listen, who through faith and endurance inherit the promises. That's the perseverance of the saints. We endure. You say, well, what happens when someone doesn't, deserve, doesn't endure? Very simple. First John 2:19, they went out from us because they never were what of us. that they failed the test of genuine faith. No trial, then, beloved, is so great that it could sever you from your Lord if your faith is genuine. It's only a test to manifest the genuineness of that faith. So eternal security is not enough alone. It is not a question of once saved, always saved, no matter what you believe and no matter what you do. No. If there's not endurance, if you don't pass the test and hold on to the Lord, if you're not continuing to love and obey Him through every trial of life, then you give evidence of having an illegitimate faith. Trials, then, prove genuine faith by giving us opportunity to persevere And having persevered, look back and say, yes, I know I belong to the Lord. But for those who do not fall under the trial, would you notice back at verse 12? For those that do not collapse, he says, after they have been approved, he shall receive the crown of life. Now, for you Greek students, that's what I would like to call an appositional genitive. And literally, it would be translated this way, to receive a crown which is life. The crown equals life. The point here is this. The crown is eternal life. The promise of eternal life is what God has promised them that love him. Eternal life, mark it, is our ultimate reward. You say, I already had that, I thought. Well, you do have it. You have it on promise. Someday you're going to get it in reality. In its fullness. We are still waiting to enter into our future reward. That's why it's a future tense. He shall receive the crown. What is the crown? It is eternal life. This is reminiscent of 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown which is righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, not to me only, but also all them that love is appearing. Again, at the time when the Lord comes and takes us to himself, there will be a crown. That crown is eternal life. There will be a crown. That crown is righteousness. We will at that moment have eternal righteousness and eternal life. And I believe it refers to the eternal life that we receive at the coming of Jesus Christ. In fact... All of the rewards that the Lord grants to us are bound up in our eternal life, ultimately. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. The fullness of the promise of eternal life. In fact, in 1 Peter 5.4, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you will receive a crown which is glory. So it's eternal life, it's righteousness, it's glory. Those are not crowns that belong to different Christians. Those are crowns that belong to all Christians. All Christians will receive eternal life, eternal righteousness, and eternal glory. By the way, Revelation 2.10 also mentions the crown of life again. There it is promised to those who were faithful unto death who went through trials. It's the same context. He's writing to the church at Smyrna. You have tribulation for a short period of time. If you prove yourself faithful through that, even if it means death, then I'll reward you with eternal life. Now let me say this. Eternal life is not earned by endurance. It is not earned by endurance, but endurance is the proof of true faith and true love, which is rewarded by eternal life. Do you get that distinction? It is not earned by endurance. It is the reward for endurance, which proves the genuineness of saving faith. The word crown, by the way, is the word stephanos. It is used in several different ways. But generally, in the culture of the New Testament, it had to do with a wreath that was put around the head of a victor in an athletic event. So what he is saying is that the Lord is going to reward with eternal life those who demonstrate that they had true salvation in that they persevered. So, beloved, as we open this section then, we understand that life is full of trials. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. And how we deal with those trials manifest the genuineness or the lack of it of our faith. If we endure, if we persevere, if we are victorious, we demonstrate true saving faith, and we will in the end receive the reward of that saving faith, the the reward of that continual love, which is the fullness of eternal life, eternal righteousness, eternal glory. That's for those who prove to be genuine. Now, the question immediately comes up at this point, having looked at verse 2 and verse 12, how can a Christian practically endure trials? What is the practicality of endurance? And that's what James wants to hit. He's very pragmatic. It's not enough to say, I must persevere. Tell me how. These are the pragmatic aspects to a persevering faith. Several things are required. A joyous attitude. A joyous attitude. Verse 2, count it all joy. An understanding mind. Verse 3, knowing this. A submissive will. Verse 4, let patience have her perfect work. Let it do what it's going to do. And then a believing heart. Don't have wavering faith. Verse 6, but ask in true faith. Verse 8, don't be double-minded. And then in verses 9 to 11, a humble spirit. The way to go through trials victoriously is with a joyous attitude and understanding mind that is perceiving the reality of the trial and the purpose in it, a submissive will, accepting it from the Lord, getting under it and learning what He wants you to learn, a believing heart that never wavers in faith, and a humble spirit that is willing to accept anything. Now that's how you handle your trials. And with that,
3: John MacArthur, Chancellor of the Masters University and Seminary, concludes today's installment from his series titled Benefiting from Life's Trials, here on Grace to You Weekend. John, I love this series from James 1. In fact, I have a very clear recollection of the first time you preached it, and every time I hear it, I benefit. This is, I think, one of the most practical chapters in all of Scripture. And so as we were deciding which of your series to produce updated study guides for, Benefiting from Life's Trials was really an easy series to choose because the original edition of this study guide had such a fruitful ministry for so many years,
4: and we're anticipating the same for this new version. Well, I, I agree with that, Phil. This is a critical subject, and it is it is proven to have an impact on thousands of lives through the years. So based on the series we're airing this week and next week, the title of the study guide is also Benefiting from Life's Trials. For many years, we have produced study guides for the topical sermon series that air on Grace to You, we produced about 150 study guides in all in the past and they were well received and very helpful to earlier generations of Grace to You listeners. So now we're reintroducing the study guides to a new generation, updated in a beautiful new format. And no doubt uh, this is going to be new for people who have some of the original study guides in their libraries to find that they can get a beautiful new edition of those very familiar and favorite books. The study, particularly benefiting from life's trials, is the fifth volume we have republished. And look, we've been saying it, life is full of heartache and pain and tragedy. And God lovingly provides the truths in James chapter 1 to help you understand what is going on when you experience these trials and how you can follow the path of encouragement through that trial and come out stronger than you were before and even come to true joy. You're going to spend a lifetime going back to James 1 for strength and reassurance in difficult times. And this study guide will become a companion for you, a guide to lean on that encouraging truth that God provides through his servant James. 120 pages, reasonably priced, available exclusively from Grace to You. You can order it today.
3: Yes, and do order it today. Friend, the Lord offers you grace to get through any hardship, and this study guide, Benefiting from Life's Trials, will help you learn how to access God's grace. To order yours, get in touch today. Our number here, 855 55 grace and our website, gty.org. The Benefiting from Life's Trials study guide includes a question and answer section after each chapter. And it's great material to go through with someone you're discipling or with your Bible study group. So again, to get a copy for yourself and for a friend, call 855-GRACE or go to gty.org. And when you visit our website, gty.org, make sure to take advantage of the thousands of free resources we offer there. That includes our blog series titled The Biblical Response to Persecution, an ideal complement to John's current radio series. Or you can also read daily devotionals. You can keep up with reading plan from the MacArthur Daily Bible. And you can download any of John's sermons. That's more than 3,500 hours of verse-by-verse Bible teaching, all of it free to download in MP3 and transcript format. The web address again, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur, I'm Phil Johnson, reminding you to tune in next week when John shows you what to do when you're tempted to doubt God's goodness. Be here when John's study called Benefiting from Life's Trials continues with another 30 minutes of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace to You Weekend.
5: I want to say hi. Sorry, before the beginning, I thought I was introducing the show, but it looks like I had it on mute, so sorry about that. I want to, this is Wes Cantrell, the host of Truth Be Told Radio. I want to thank my main sponsor is my mom. Thank you. I love you. Thank you for helping me out with my show. And I want to say this is from last week also, but I'm still learning it. It's that the words of my mouth and a meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O lord my rock and my redeemer psalm 1914 and let's see now this is answers and gist
6: underwater pollinators this is ken ham an aussie transplant with a passion for sharing the truths of god's word In the ocean, there's a type of algae called red seaweed, as well as tiny bugs living on it. And according to a new study, these tiny animals are doing more than just living there. These crustaceans are the so-called bees of the sea, pollinating the algae underwater. In return, the tiny animals enjoy food and shelter. The algae are said to have evolved 800 million years ago, but pollination supposedly evolved a mere 450 million years ago. So this new study makes scientists wonder if pollination evolved repeatedly underwater and on the land. No, this complex process didn't evolve even once, let alone repeatedly. It was designed by God.
0: There's so much more to discover about God's incredible creation when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights at AnswersRadio.com
1: I love to tell the story It will be my theme in glory To tell the old, old story Of Jesus and his love
6: End is nigh, or maybe not. This is Ken Ham, heading up the ministry that built a full-size Noah's Ark attraction. How long do we have left before doomsday scenarios begin to play out? Well, many activists say the planet is dying and we've just a few years left. But consider that past doomsday scenarios haven't come to be. They've all fallen flat, and so will these. These activists and scientists have no idea what's really happening or what's going to happen. They have the wrong starting point, man's word, and the wrong history of evolution and millions of years. That's why the predictions are constantly wrong. The Creator has promised, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease.
0: Get answers to your questions about climate change, the environment, and the Christian response at AnswersRadio.com. And listen to this program again at AnswersRadio.com.
5: on news
7: the
2: out of Haiti, the
5: largest, most powerful earthquake in
1: the region's history. The and federal, federal judge ruling is allowed to stand. This year's National Day of Prayer could likely be the country's last. Is I will
2: be done. I'm blessed at The number of people
7: worldwide has reached one billion for the first time since
8: 1970. For so so a fifth day, a daily bread. And forget what just happened. A few moments ago, something
1: crashed into the south tower of the World Trade Center. But the us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power. And the glowing forever. Amen. This is my Father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round
6: Bang never happened. This is Ken Ham, co-author of the book on Noah's Flood called A Flood of Evidence. The images of deep space from the James Webb Space Telescope have fascinated millions of people, but they've confused many scientists. You see, the images don't show what these scientists would expect if the Big Bang happened, and it's causing some of them to wonder if the Big Bang ever happened. Well, I can help them out of their confusion. It didn't. God's Word is the eyewitness account of history, and it says the universe began when God spoke it into existence. This was only a few thousand years ago, not 14 billion years ago. The predictions made by the Big Bang model will continue to fail because it's the history in God's Word that's true.
0: Get answers to your questions about science, the Bible, creation, evolution, and so much more at AnswersRadio.com. Find articles and more to encourage you at AnswersRadio.com. Thank uh-huh.
10: Beautiful, beautiful, you never change, never change, forever you reign, you remain the same, you will never change, you will never change, beautiful, beautiful, you never
9: As long ago as that was, you have not changed Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that be but my God is immutable,
10: immutable you are.
9: About my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies, still you pursue relentlessly, at times I wonder how this can be, surely it's because of the cross, we need paid the full penalty, and bore the burden of this great cost, I'm saved by grace and faith in God, I look to Christ and I trust he died. but even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified, his work is finished that cannot change, and with this knowledge I am free, forever this grace it will remain, because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was.
10: Beautiful, beautiful. You never change, never change. Whatever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. Beautiful, beautiful. You never change,
11: never change.
6: The Big Bang Never Happened. This is Ken Ham co-author of the book on Noah's Flood called A Flood of Evidence. The images of deep space from the James Webb Space Telescope have fascinated millions of people, but they've confused many scientists. You see, the images don't show what these scientists would expect if the Big Bang happened, and it's causing some of them to wonder if the Big Bang ever happened. Well, I can help them out of their confusion. It didn't. God's Word is the eyewitness account of history, and it says the universe began when God spoke it into existence. This was only a few thousand years ago, not 14 billion years ago. The predictions made by the Big Bang model will continue to fail because it's the history in God's Word that's true.
0: Get answers to your questions about science, the Bible, creation, evolution, and so much more at AnswersRadio.com. Find articles and more to encourage you at AnswersRadio.com.
12: What is it exactly? Uh, That is the question that we seek to answer, courtesy of cbmw.org, your one-stop shop for all things roles of women and men in the church-related. Todd, that was the worst sentence construction in the history of sentence construction, Mm -hmm. cbmw.org, taking on the egalitarian arguments. Why can't a woman do this in the church? Noting Oh well, there can be some circumstances that require some nuancing that get a little bit tricky. For instance, Hudson Taylor, he was out in the field working pretty hard, and he recognized that the role of women, it's, wow, they sure can be used in a powerful way, and yet we don't want to cross the line. Another example. A.J. Gordon, a Boston pastor, missionary statesman, founder of Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, and noticed the same thing. And so there can be scenarios, for instance, even out on the mission field where, yikes, things are the dynamic, the difficulties, it's forming a church versus it is a church. Now, I don't think CBMW is banging their fist on every single potential nuance of every single potential scenario that's unusual. But the normative stuff, they go after with a pretty hard line. And shouldn't we, considering the Bible speaks pretty clearly on the subject? And so we will try to answer some of the accusations at least and another day we'll get into specific roles of women what about leading worship ushers reading scripture those types of things another day but let's deal with more of the egalitarian arguments against the complementarian position that men and women equal in the eyes of god and yet play complementary roles if we didn't why are there two genders really why 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 is it symbiosis where you where you just you you breed yourself. You don't need a partner. Is that what it's? Is that the right word for that? What is that called? Oh, no, that <clears throat> symbi—I know what symbiosis is where two. So it ain't that. No, it's not that. Remember, you are not listening to a biology program. Asexual reproduction is. That's it, right there. Yeah. yeah. Asexual reproduction. Why didn't he do that? Because we each bring something to the table, both reflecting attributes of God, because. One gender apparently couldn't get the job done because he is so otherly. Please remember, just because a woman reflects attributes of God doesn't make God a girl any more than Paul became a woman when he said, I, I, I treated you like a, like a mother hen, I believe he was caring for her, or that's God in the Old Testament. Paul, just like a worried mother for you. Is Paul suddenly a girl? No, he uses it to try to describe an emotion or a behavior that is more feminine, not exclusively, but more so. And that's why God created two genders. And he did it in a creative order. And that established for Paul, First Timothy, the role of elder is reserved for man because it's tied to the creative order. As we just heard, 1 Corinthians 11 appears to do that with women wearing head coverings. So why aren't they the same? Why aren't the people who are firm complementarians insisting men can only be elders because of the creative order, why aren't they insisting that all women wear head coverings? Read this from CBMW. When Paul says that a woman's hair is given to her for a covering, verse 15, he means that nature has given woman the hair and the inclination to follow prevailing customs of displaying her femininity, which in this case included letting her hair grow long and drawing it up into a covering for her head. If if a woman cut her hair short, it spoke. It said something. It said, for instance, temple prostitute. Paul said, follow the norm. Now, here's how he connects it to nature. Paul's point is that the relationships of manhood and womanhood are rooted in the created order, and they should find their appropriate cultural expression in the worship service. Nature teaches this by giving women and men deep and differing inclinations about the use of masculine and feminine symbols in a culture. And so CBMW concludes uh, it's different. Yeah, is it is it tied to creation? Yes, but it is informed by culture. And so we see different cultural norms in Corinth than what they are today. A woman can have shorter hair today, and not it doesn't – would anybody see – For instance, Ellen DeGeneres has short hair. Would you conclude, oh, she's a temple prostitute? Of course you wouldn't conclude they would in Corinth. Why? Different culture, different time. Back to the questions from CBMW. Do you deny women the right to use the gifts God has given them? Does not God's giving a spiritual gift imply that he endorses it for the edification of the church? She can preach. She can actually lead men well that's got to be from god how can you deny that the response having a spiritual gift is not a warrant to use it however we please god puts the parameters on it spiritual gifts they're given by the holy spirit but they're also regulated by the holy scriptures that he inspired people with the gift of tongues for instance speaking a foreign language is what i prefer we're told not to use it in public when there was no gift of interpretation. Prophets were told to stop prophesying, and again, I would I would define that is proclaiming biblical truth, when someone else had a revelation. We don't deny women to use their gifts, and we just say that there are certain gifts that have hard rails on them, and can only be used in particular contexts. So they can use those gifts in administration, evangelism, it, in teaching other women, in teaching children, those can be used. But just because a woman has it doesn't mean that it can be used any way she chooses. Question from cbmw.org from an egalitarian. If God has genuinely called a woman to be a pastor, then how can you say she should not be one? Isn't that an assumptive question? Because if the Bible says that women can't be pastors, God would not give them that calling. So does that mean they're, they're not feeling something? No, they can be feeling something. But the Bible defines what those feelings are. We don't get to define the office based on how we feel about it. That's all. And so the Bible teaches it's God's will for men alone to bear the primary teaching and governing responsibilities of the church. And that means that God does not call women to pastors. And so the feelings need to be dealt with now okay the bible says so what do you do with that well a woman can indeed be called to menace but not to that particular office from cbmw very often the divine compulsion to serve comes upon christians without the precise avenue of service being specified at this point we should not only look at our gifts but also at the teaching of scripture regarding what is appropriate for us as men and women and by the way this needs to be dealt with with men also a a call, a feeling, a sense. How do you know that that's pastoral ministry? Even that needs to be discerned wisely. So just because somebody has a feeling like they'd like to, that does not mean that it is a call from God to that particular office. Another question, if a church embraces a congregational form of governance in the congregation where they vote, not the elders, but they vote, should women be allowed to vote? Different nuances there are the answer from CBMW is yes, yes, they should quote from acts fifteen twenty two it seemed good to the apostles and the elders while the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch. That seems to be a biblical expression of the priesthood of all believers. Well, isn't that exercising authority? apparently not because it's a collective group, it isn't an individual exercising authority. The reason, writes CBMW, we don't think it's inconsistent, is that the authority of the church is not the same as the authority of the individual who make up the church. Paul wrote Oh this one is this one is so cool. Paul wrote, Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. It's Romans sixteen seven. They are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. And so some people point out that Junius was a goyle. Was she the answer is ultimately, we cannot know here's what CBMW did, Put to a computer program now where you can search off the archives for Homer, Greek writings, everything, just everything from the from the fifth century to the ninth century, and here's what they concluded: Plutarch says that Junia not Junius Junia was a girl a Epiphanius there's a new one for you eighty three fifteen church father, John Chrysostom middle of the 4th century. The E-man, he thought she was a girl. John Chrysostom thought that the Junius in Romans 16 was a man. Origen, quotation, Andronicus and Junius, all of whom he calls with a masculine pronoun. So the early church fathers are kind of split on it. All of that to say you really can't make a definitive argument and overcome all of the clear verses in light of what is certainly a debatably unclear verse, because we don't know for sure if Junius was a boy or a girl. This is Wretched Radio. Would you please like, subscribe, or share this video so other people can enjoy this professional Christian content.
3: Hi,
13: I'm Johnny, I'm sure you've read that familiar verse in Psalm, the one that says deep calls to deep, but uh, just what does that mean? Well, it sure means a lot to me, because when I am going through a deep trial, and you've been there, you know what I'm talking about we can have assurance that God is calling us into a deeper intimacy with Christ. Deep calls deep. And a really close relationship with Jesus, it just doesn't happen overnight. So here's my point. It takes faith to accept a deep, deep trial. But it takes perseverance to find deep intimacy with Jesus in that trial. To get that perseverance is the key. It's the long process of many small acceptances, many little choices, lots of little decisions to trust and to obey, which over time results in a deep, sweet, delightful love of Jesus Christ and an intimacy with him that you would not trade for any amount of trials. Okay, persevere to that deep trial that you're in right now. A deeper devotion to your wonderful Savior is on your horizon. Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Tata, and uh, following Christ, it sure is a matter of the will, isn't it? I'm thinking of Psalm 77 where it says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Man, I've got to think about that constantly. My chronic pain in my hip insists on forgetting the goodness of God, and so I've got to force my will to remember. I will remember the goodness of the Lord. When I am overwhelmed by pain, I will rehearse Bible promises when I'm frustrated or I haven't slept well. You know, that's been my practice for years. Back when I was coming up out of depression, I knew my dark emotions would try to pull me down that miry pit. So back then I used to tell myself, Johnny, remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Remember his promise that he's coming again. Remember that you have been purchased with a price and more. You know, friend, when when you say, I will remember the goodness of the Lord, you have taken a giant step towards stronger faith. So join me, would you? Together, let's remember to press on and strive and push forward and pray and love and obey and trust our God. Because the goodness of Jesus Christ is always worth remembering.
14: The following video contains a picture of a dead deer. I'm just warning you because it looks tasty and might cause your mouth to water. Cabot Phillips of the Daily Wire posted a picture with his wife who had just killed a deer, followed by a picture of the deer's meat after butchering. A woman by the name of Fiona Moriarty, who has a show called Facts with Fiona, said this is the MAGA murder cult, brutally murdering innocent animals for cloud and Instagram likes. demented savages. Jesus would never... Hashtag fake Christians. Well, Fiona just doesn't know the facts. Luke 22, 7-8 says, "...then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, "...go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it." Jesus ate lamb at Passover." Thousands of lambs would have been sacrificed that day. Jesus killed and ate fish with his disciples even after his resurrection. See John 21, 1-14. In Acts 10, Peter saw a vision of all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the sky. And the voice of Jesus was heard saying, Rise up, Peter, slaughter and eat. Dining on animals is not murder, but the butchering of unborn children, that is murder. It happens by the thousands every day. First Timothy 4, 1-5 says that those who forbid the eating of certain foods are seared in conscience, teaching the doctrines of demons. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Thank God for good food when we understand the text.
12: The Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And away we go.
6: It's the Wretched Radio mail call delivery bag Q&A entertainment nationwide extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and misses.
1: Any special message for all the
13: kids
7: watching at home? What we need right
15: now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now here's your host,
14: Todd Freakishly Tall Freed. The mail is here!
12: There are two ways to get a hold of us here at Wretched Radio. You can Beep Talk, one 282 beep or send an email to idea at wretched.org, idea at wretched.org. Received an email from Alan, a follow-up to last week's mailbag, talking about the issue of CBD oil. It is a big trend in our country. These are People who are seeking a cure for a malady, they do not believe they can get relief in any other form from traditional medicine, and so they try something called CBD oil, which increasingly you can get it at coffee shops, you can get a shot put into your beverage if you want to, you can find it at all kinds of stores. It's becoming quite mainstream. Please note it is non-addictive, it is usually extracted from hemp, but sometimes marijuana, and a lot of Christians are taking it, using it, and they are singing and heralding its benefits. The question, of course, that we have to ask is because this particular CBD cannabidiol, oil, or however you pronounce it, the oil, it doesn't get you high. It doesn't have an addictive element. It is my belief that, therefore, it can be okay for a Christian to use it. That doesn't answer the question, should a Christian use it? You've got to remember your testimony. You've you've got to ask yourself the question, why am I pursuing this? And I think another question that you have to ask is, does it actually work? There was an article, Alan sent this in, from the Washington Post. Is the hype about CBD or cannabidiol? How do you pronounce it? Cannabidiol? Is that a cannabidiol? Eel. It's not oil. It's eel. What, is, what does science have to say about it? Here's the quote that I think sums it up rather pithily. Mm-hmm. Despite the growing popularity of CBD, the science supporting the claim remains pretty slim at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that it might not help you. But the science behind it that doesn't seem to have a whole lot to suggest that it does have some sort of capacity to heal different maladies, especially a wide range of maladies which people use this oil for. Having said that, does that mean that it might not work for you? I can't, who could say that maybe it could? It just doesn't have the science behind it. So why is this such a popular thing among the pagans and Christians? I, I think a couple of reasons. One, hype, word of mouth, Famous people, Gwyneth Paltrow is into it. Surprise,
0: Willie Nelson
12: sings, if he still can, the benefits of CBD. And so there's a lot of people saying good things. It worked for me. Nothing else worked, but I think that's one of the reasons. I think the second reason that we should consider and be, I think, more mindful of is hope. There are people who are struggling with physical maladies, and they're just looking for some relief. And they they want to find it. I don't think as a Christian that we, we should be poo-pooing their desire to feel better and to try something that is not addictive. It does not get you buzzed. Does it work? I don't know. But should we be, oh, CBD oil? I don't think so. I'm not going to open it. We're not going to be selling it at wretched.org anytime soon. You know. We sell the other essential oils, of course, because <laughs> we all know. So thank you very much, Alan, for sending that in. Uh, science, not so much. Word of mouth, huge. Be mindful. If you talk to somebody about it and they're trying to figure out if they should use it, chances are pretty good they're dealing with a health issue. That has probably been causing them a fair amount of pain for a long time and that we should be sensible, sensitive in our response and that, by the way, we do have an abundance here at Wretched, sensitivity. In fact, Tony, <laughs> I, I think I'm one of the most sensitive guys that there is. And if you disagree, you jerk, <laughs> go ahead if you want to. Proof positive right there. Idea at Wretched.org, idea at Wretched.org from Vi. Can I teach my children to pray, or tell them to join me in prayer, even though they are not born again? My husband too, or should I just pray for them by myself? Yes, no, yes. I, I think that yeah, you teach your kids to pray. Just teach them to pray. They 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 can have a childlike faith. It may not be a salvific faith, but if they're actually demonstrating a love for, it doesn't mean they're regenerated, but if they're expressing a love for the Lord and we're supposed to model that and to encourage them to do that, absolutely. The husband's a different scenario. I think you should be praying for him. You could pray for him out loud for him. But you can't pray with somebody who's not a believer. I think it gives the wrong signal, and God isn't hearing those prayers because they do not have the atoning work of Jesus Christ making their prayers efficacious. You do. So pray for them, and pray for them certainly by yourself. A lot. Now this email is sent in from Ben. Ben, is the six-day creation a primary or a secondary issue? I would say it's a secondary issue that could be a primary issue. It's secondary because it is not a cardinal doctrine. But if somebody's motivation for believing in an old earth position, if it invades an essential doctrine, then it could be problematic. But rigidly defined, you'd have to say it's a secondary issue. Question, should I leave a church where the leadership, they do not believe in a literal six-day creation? Uh, I, I wouldn't say over that alone now. If it becomes an ongoing drubbing that you receive because it's a it's some sort of a hobby horse, it could just become untenable for you, and it it, it could just become annoying, and you could possibly start looking around, but not necessarily, not necessarily now. I believe this. I, I believe any time that you do not have full unity in a body on issues like, let's write these things down. Do you agree? Check the box or not. Any time when you go, well, we're just not going to include that one as something that we try to get agreement on because we don't have agreement. It is my experience and opinion as being one of the most sensitive guys on the planet. It's going to cause problems. It, it just it just will eventually. it'll show up in other ways, other forms, other conversations, meetings, eh, programs. It it usually leads to other places. He continues, should I decline the offer to be a part of the leadership team that does not believe in a literal six-day creation? I, I I don't think that would keep you from it, but I would ask myself the question, how big of a deal is this? It's sort of like marriage. Can two Christians be married when they don't agree on everything yeah but let's go through a list of some things that might cause lots of problems like baptism one is pedo, one one is one is believers baptism that's going to cause some big problems she's leans a little bit more continuationist i'm a cessationist what church are you going to go to you should really get those things worked out because at some point they can become so problematic, it just makes it downright difficult in marriage and I think in church. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Friel. My question is nice and simple. You know, any email that begins that way, you are probably in for big trouble. Thank you for saying something about the Hebrew Roots movement. My wife and I were in Jewish ministry for a time and ran into a few of these folks. As you said, they were way out of the parameters of Christian orthodoxy and do not have a centralized theology or statement of faith. Now, that email was expressed representative of many other emails, but not all many people responded asking, hey, what's up with the criticism of the Hebrew Roots Movement? So then tell me, what is the distinction then? But what is the use of the law? Why did Jesus herald the law? And yet you're saying the law is gone? We will be doing a deeper study on that very subject next week on Wretched Radio, because it's important. And it's, I, I, I don't deny that, that, there, that it's a simple issue. It requires a really big understanding of all parts of the Bible and a Christological hermeneutic. The first century church, they had that view of Scripture. We reasoned with them from the Scripture, said Paul. We demonstrated that the Messiah must suffer. They used the Old Testament. Jesus did this on the road to Emmaus, pointing to himself from the Old Testament because they understood that the whole of the Bible was about one subject, Jesus Christ. If you lose sight of that, it can become bits and pieces and parts and not a whole. And so I understand why there can be confusion on this issue. Next week, we will give it a run and try uh, to eliminate some of that confusion. I will say this, however. Everybody who wrote in, and there were many about the Hebrew roots comments I made last week, with the exception of one, thank you for being Christ-like in your tone. That speaks volumes. This is Wretched Radio. Oh, I am so surprised that you are still here. Apparently you've got a lot of free time. If you would like to get more Wretched, and who wouldn't, simply like this video, subscribe to this channel, and we will give you Wretched until it's coming out of your nose.
16: cross we see what god's love is about there's no type of person that jesus left out because jesus died and rose from the grave all those who trust in the lord will be saved in the book of revelation chapter number seven the church from all times is gathered in heaven each tribe and people language and nation all thanking god for the gift of salvation together forever with saints of all kinds through each the glory of the lord's gonna shine this is exactly what God has designed. When God made me and you, let's go. He
11: uh, made me and you. He made us all, y'all. For joy. Four.
9: Different colors and different shades, all differently and wonderfully me Through each the glory of God displayed. God
8: made me and you.
9: For so all the you all our loss, all the graveny for the cross. Jesus died, rose and paid the cost. God made me and you. Different colors and different shades, all differently and wonderfully me Through each the glory of God displayed. God made me and you. For so all our you, all are lost All of great need for the cross Jesus died, rose, and paid the cross. God made me and you
1: na 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 na
6: Tree, for the Lord he wanted to see, and as the labor passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus.
16: They said it was over, man. They said it was over, but it ain't over. we just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, resurrection. more power than gravity, his knowledge and strategies confound the academy, bow to his majesty, he paid sin's salary, took up blame on Calvary, those who love his name, spread his fame, is the policy, all eyes on the mattress price of his sacrifice, let's prize our master Christ and rise Rise. in the afterlife, what, did we forget about the holiness of God or something, did we forget that God owes us a rod or something, see the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes who hate truth, the gospel is not fake news. Medicine. The gospel sweeter than it's ever been Ain't nothing changed, let us then we got the medicine It's still human emergency, the serpent attack You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts Spin up, in. Stop and listen to my composition Lots of rhythm but not traditional. No kind of different But God's consistent No contradiction My proposition Through crucifixion He must and crippled his opposition It's not some fiction I'm spitting The son of God is risen And my incentive for godly living Is I'm forgiven Jesus came to unlock the prison And through the spirit He brings a new birth Like an obstetrician At times I listen to A lot of Christian hip-hop is missing The proper vision is my suspicion We drop submission Not to this, but The word of God Is it not sufficient? The doctrine is that The gospel fixes shot condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction against the backdrop of our position the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness that's God's commission, because Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up, if you truly love the Son of Man, trust Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the in the background like elevator music but we gon' celebrate them relegate them, we refuse it they hate christian hip-hop i peep myself they say we too redundant well let me repeat myself what i gotta say almost feels too real estate sit back and feel the way that what of real estate cause yo jesus christ got me in the real estate i'm purchased property i feel like i'm real estate if the father wasn't gracious no synonym again, he came straight blameless no synonym i can nothing's been the same since no synonym i can't fakers Black is fragrance, no synonym, this is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus, nah we serve the rock, the harder than and still Jesus, so how are we going to be silent, let the world still Jesus, when the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus, then up, hands up, if you truly love the son of man, trust, Jesus is alive, and his people he'll revive, and his fame is going to spread
8: Get social with Truth Be Told Radio. Check us out on our Facebook like page at Truth Be Told Radio. You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com That is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O dot C-O-M truthbetoldradio.com Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com T O L D R A D I O. Once again, that is Truth, the letter B only, not B-E, told radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username links. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa canchoa the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S M I L E S A N D S T U F F dot C-O-M smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. <laughs>
7: answer that door and if you're not a christian you answer that door alone god is merciful you're right but his mercy is running out
15: so you'd go for the prostitute last minute just before you die and say god please forgive me (laughs) basically yeah let's say god killed you a day before you plan to do that
17: i don't think i need to ask for forgiveness or repent because he's he created who i am and if, if if i'm worthy enough to uh enter the afterlife in heaven then, uh, then that's where I should be.
7: You may be born with a propensity to sin, but that's why you need to be born again. It is natural to do things that are contrary to the spirit of God. But that's why God the Father sent his son to die a horrific death so that we could have fellowship with God and have new desires. It doesn't make it okay for us to sin and to blame God for our sins. Right? It, it doesn't work like that. God is not a toy manufacturer. Right? He is the holy judge of the universe. So stop blaming God for your sins, your mistakes. Come clean. Jesus paid that perfect price so that we wouldn't have to die for our own sins. So either Jesus Christ is our substitute who suffered in himself the wrath of the Father, and in so doing he satisfied the demands of the law, or you've got to do it yourself.
15: In hell. You know what you have to do to be saved from death and hell? I've been getting mixed messages on my life, so it's a little confusing. I'm a good person, but... Are you a good person? Mm-hmm. Of oh, course, so Sometimes you're not. Of course. You're saying you've lied and stolen? Oh, yeah. First commandment. Do you put God first in your life? Do you love him with heart, mind, soul, and strength? Maybe. Have you ever desired something that belongs to somebody else? Their car, their house, whatever? It's a violation of the 10th commandment. Have you broken that one? Yes. Use God's name in vain? Yeah. So you took the name of God, the holy name of God, and used it as a cuss word, and He's the one that gave you life. So you don't love God if you use His name as a cuss word. Can you see that? See that perspective? Yeah. You respect Jesus? I do. He said, "Whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already, whether in his heart." Have you ever looked at a woman with lust?
14: Your yes, hat? Have. have you?
15: Yeah. Of course.
14: Yeah. Normal for most people. So yeah.
15: Had sex outside of America. Yes, I have. So what's going to happen to you on Judgment Day when God judges you by those commandments? I
17: think I will go to hell. He will open up his arms and show me nothing but love.
15: Well, you know what you've just done now? What have I done? You just violated the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. I did it before I was a Christian, John. I made up a god in my own mind, a god of my own creation. It's called idolatry, and my god was a snuggly, cuddly god that couldn't wait to embrace me like a big teddy bear. But he was non-existent. He was a figment of my imagination. And the Bible says, Idolatists will not inherit the kingdom of God. The God that we're talking about has given you the death sentence. Have you ever heard the Bible verse, The wages of sin is death? It's saying that God is paying you in death for your sins. Like a judge looks at a murderous criminal, he says, We're paying you in the death sentence. This is your wages. This is what you've earned. This is what you deserve. And guys, sin is so serious to a holy God, he's given you the death sentence. Now, if you die in your sins, the Bible says all lies will be part in the lake of fire. No thief, no blasphemer, no adulterer, no idolater is someone who makes up their own and Here at God's kingdom, the book of Proverbs, it has about three chapters saying young men stay away from prostitutes because her feet will take you to hell. That's what the Bible says. Did you know that?
14: I didn't know that. I like to think that God is represents something good. I think, you know, having prostitutes would be good if that was something that a friend
17: got me, you know, I would accept his gift. Now, listen, someone would only say something like this if they really didn't understand the true joys of eternity. There's obviously a a total misconception there, and there's a lack of regeneration. When someone grasps eternity and the reality of it and the joys associated with it, the things of this earth grow strangely dim, and they begin to fade in their significance. C.S. Lewis talked about how if you were to try to convince a little boy that sex is the highest form of bodily pleasure, he might look at you with his limited understanding and say, well, does it include chocolate? And when you tell him that it doesn't, he might walk away thinking, oh, sex is this horrible thing that doesn't include chocolate, because to him, that's the greatest pleasure on earth. Kind of the same with us. When we look at sex as a highest bodily pleasure, it's easy for us to extrapolate to eternity when we don't really know the Lord and our eyes haven't been spiritually opened, and to think, well, oh, then heaven must be horrible because it doesn't include sex. Well, scripture does teach that in heaven, really, we won't be married and so sex won't be a part of it. But friends, it's in the same way. There are joys that are beyond
15: description
17: in the eternal realm. And scripture talks about all that God has prepared for those Maybe you've watched Ray Witness in this video, and you've heard us share some insights, and you have felt a deep sense of encouragement. Well, I want you to know, friends, that this sort of encouragement is available in an extensive format through the Living Waters podcast. If you haven't checked it out, I want to strongly encourage you to. You can do that by clicking on the link
15: in the description. Imagine if we'd put a computer chip behind your ear a year ago, and we've recorded your thought life. Everything you did in darkness, everything you thought about, and we're going to show it on a big screen TV to all your friends and your mum and dad. If you're normal, you would cringe that God has seen all that, and every time you've sinned, you've stored up his wrath. And that's what I'm saying. You need a Savior to be saved from the justice of God. So can you see you're in big trouble?
17: I can and I can't because I, I, I respect that, that Jesus died for our sins.
15: But so what does that mean, he died for our sins? What's that got to do with me?
17: Well doesn't that give us free will? The
15: Bible says the Son of Man has power and to forgive sins. Only he can forgive sins. Jesus' death
7: was not random. Though they crucified him, he willingly laid down his life. And the Bible says in John fifteen, thirteen, that there's no greater love than this, than one to lay down his life for his friends. Well then the love that Jesus portrayed was truly out of this world. Because he didn't lay down his life for his friends. It says that while we were his enemies, he was crucified. And he bridged the gap between God and man. He paid a debt he did not owe because you
15: and I owed a debt
7: we could never
15: pay. The Ten Commandments are called the moral law. You and I violated the law. Jesus came and paid what happened on the cross. That's why he said it is finished just before he died. If you're in court and you've got speeding fines and someone pays the fine, the judge will let you go legally. He can say, you're guilty, but someone's paid this fine. You're out of here. But in Christ, God forgives sins in an instant because Jesus took the punishment for our sins on that cross. That's what the teaching of the Bible is, a substitutionary death. He suffered for our sins so we could go free on Judgment Day. And then he rose from the dead and defeated death. And if you'll simply repent of your sins, don't go to a priest. Be to God and repent, please. Think about what we're talking about. I really love you guys, and I don't want to see you in hell. I want to see you in heaven. So here's the gauntlet. If you do what the Bible says, God will make you a brand-new person that loves righteousness. You'll be born again. And that's a miracle for a sin-loving sinner to love righteousness. I know what I'm talking about. This happened me 50 years ago. I'm still standing with my mouth open because it was so radical. Is this making sense?
7: It is, yeah. Me and this guy are very into these types of conversations. So while it may seem like
15: you know combative
7: or anti we are actually super into these conversations i couldn't appreciate that you stumbled across us today
15: you're going to think about what we talked about i will would you be embarrassed if i pray with you no (laughs) And thank you for the open heart today may this day you think seriously about a secret place of genuine sorrow and repentance and faith in jesus and this day pass from death to life all because of your mercy
0: in jesus name we
15: pray amen can i give you a gospel of john Yes? Yeah, sure. Can I give you a Gospel of John? Sure. Do you think you'll read it? I will, yeah. That's the Gospel of John. I like the like this it. is the book that I wrote. And i actually really excited like to
6: read this just
15: based on the title. Are you going to read it? I will. Do you think you'll, you'll read it read soon? It. Yeah, oh, I'm
7: probably going to read it when I get home. Make sure you pick up your copy of How, <laughs> How to Be Free from the Fear of Death at Living Waters. There are few sins
17: in this world that ensnare people as much as the sin of sexual immorality. I mean, you've seen that over the course of this video. People want to hang on to it, and oftentimes they're doing it in exchange for eternity. Interestingly, it's been said by some that one of the ways that they used to capture monkeys in Africa is that they would take a coconut, hollow it out, they would attach a chain to the other end of the coconut, and then they'd attach the other end of the chain to a tree. Then they take a tiny, shiny little trinket and they put it inside the hollowed out coconut. Then the hunter would go into hiding behind a bush or something and the monkey would come up, it would pick up the coconut, would look inside and then being the curious George that it is, it would reach its hand in and grab the shiny little trinket. And once it does that, if you've ever put your hand into a, an opening and then closed it, it makes a fist and then you can't get your hand out. You gotta open your hand and then you're able to pull it out. But that monkey treasures that shiny little trinket more than it does its own life. And when the hunter comes out with his rifle and he aims at the monkey, it doesn't open up its hand and let that trinket go. And so what happens? It's stuck in the coconut. It treasures that little trinket more than its own life. And it ends up costing it. Friends, that's what sin is like. I urge you today, if you're ensnared in sexual immorality and you don't, no Christ. You haven't repented. You haven't let go of your sin. Do that today. Put your faith in the death and resurrection of the Savior who's able to wash your sins away as a free gift of his grace and give you the hope of everlasting life. Maybe you just watched this video and you're thinking, oh man, I'm so ensnared into sexual immorality, especially pornography. This video called Six Ways to Conquer Porn will help give you insight and how you can become free from this. And if you don't know the Lord, how to find hope in him and then victory over this destructive sin. So click up to your left to watch it now.
5: One second. That was Livy Waters and my guys. Talk around there. And uh, thanks for sending me Cantola here on Truthy Toll Radio. And we're going to go out with Yankee and Friends and the VRVLE. Uh, join me next Sunday for next, another show. And bye for now.